the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. The Apostle tells us that the church is a unit, it is a single body of believers. We are family, and therefore we are to act as family. We are to act as a unit. We are to act as a single body of believers in order to preserve the unity that's already there. This unity has been created by the Spirit of God. He's made us one body, one family, and all we need to do is walk in a manner worthy of that. And what is that manner? Well, Those are the attitudes he mentions in verse 2. To walk with humility and gentleness and tolerance and patience and brotherly love. All of that so that we care for one another. So that we love one another. And so that we help one another to function properly in the body of Christ. God has gifted every single member of His body with what the Bible calls a spiritual gift. And these gifts enable us to effectively minister to one another so that we help each other to grow and function properly in the body of Christ. Hello, and welcome once again to Verse by Verse. We've been studying in Ephesians chapter 4 in a series called Unity and Spiritual Growth. Our teacher is the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. He is Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve has two more sessions for us in this series, and then we will be on to our next series. But let's not look ahead too far. Instead, let's concentrate on what Pastor Steve has for us today, and we can focus on the rest later. Here now is our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff. Well, tonight, as we close out our section that we've been studying from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, a section in chapter 4, we're going to focus on the last two verses of this particular section, Ephesians 4, verses 15 and 16. I want to read it to you. Paul said this, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, of course, these verses have a context. They have a setting. They have an environment. They come out of something. They're not isolated So what is the setting? Well, the setting is Paul's teaching about the unity of the church. 
He began chapter 4 by saying this, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent, notice this, diligent to preserve the unity, that's the key, the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The apostle tells us that the church is a unit. It is a single body of believers. We are family, and therefore we are to act as family. We are to act as a unit. We are to act as a single body of believers in order to preserve the unity that's already there. This unity has been created by the Spirit of God. He's made us one body, one family, and all we need to do is walk in a manner worthy of that. And what is that manner? Well, those are the attitudes he mentions in verse 2, to walk with humility and gentleness and tolerance and patience and brotherly love, all of that so that we care for one another, so that we love one another, and so that we help one another to function properly in the body of Christ. So understand that's where Paul is coming from. And God he tells us as he moves on, has made a wonderful provision for this to happen. He has gifted every single member of his body, every single Christian, he has given what the Bible calls a spiritual gift. And these gifts enable us to effectively minister to one another so that we help each other to grow and function properly in the body of Christ. Paul will say that in verse 7. But to each one of us, notice it's every single Christian, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So he's given us a gift so that we can minister to one another. But there's more, because in addition, he also has provided certain men, church leaders, who he has also gifted with the ability to teach God's word to the church so that individual Christians can be better equipped with spiritual maturity. And that results in the body of Christ being able to use their own gifts in a godly and mature manner. God hasn't given us gifts to operate in an immature manner. That was happening in the Corinthian assembly. He wants us to grow up. He wants us to mature. And the way that we mature is by the teaching of the word of God through men whom he has gifted. And that's what verses 11 and 12 are about. And he, that's Christ, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. It ought to be, as we've said, pastor teachers. For what purpose? For the equipping, and that really means to make useful or the maturing of the saints for the work of service. It's their work of service, your work of service, and using your gifts, and the result will be to the building up of the body of Christ. So according to Paul, when pastors and evangelists faithfully teach the word of God to their congregations, their congregants then will be able to use their gifts to minister to others because they are growing spiritually. And the result is the entire congregation grows and matures spiritually. Now that's a key. Notice the end of verse 12 to the building up of the body of Christ. When everyone is using their gifts properly, then the body grows and matures. 
And then the result is, when that happens, you have a healthy church. You have a strong church, a spiritually, internally strong church. And what that looks like is explained by Paul, starting in verse 13 and going all the way to verse 16. Because what the apostle does in these verses is he tells us what he means back in verse 12. The building up of the body of Christ. This clarifies it. It explains it. He does this by revealing that there are certain marks or certain qualities or certain characteristics that every mature and healthy church has. If they're growing, this is the way they're going to be. And he's not talking about numerical growth. He's talking about spiritual growth, maturity. And the reason that this is so important for us to understand is because These are the characteristics that God wants us as a church body to strive for. These are the characteristics that every church should strive to have and be like. It's also a way of measuring our progress. Are we a strong church? Are we moving in the right direction? Are we a healthy church? So how do we actually evaluate ourselves? You can't evaluate yourselves just by numbers because that says nothing. You can pack in a crowd by giving out heresy that sounds interesting. So that's irrelevant. Now, the last time we studied these verses, we noted four marks of a healthy and maturing church as spelled out by Paul. First of all, a healthy church, he tells us, is united on doctrine. They're of one mind when it comes to the gospel truths. Notice verse 13. He says, until we all attain, notice, to the unity of the faith. The faith is not personal faith. It's the New Testament teaching, the faith, definite article, the doctrine, the body of truth. And what the apostle means by this is that a mature church is committed to doctrinal clarity. They know what the Bible teaches about Christ. They know what the Bible teaches about the various truths that make up the gospel message of Christ. They believe these truths and they agree on these truths. There is tremendous doctrinal unity and agreement when it comes to the gospel in a healthy church. Secondly, a healthy church is knowledgeable about Jesus Christ. We read, as Paul continues in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. See, a healthy church is a church where people are taught about Christ. He's the focal point. They long to know him better. It is a Christ-centered church where people are growing in their understanding of who he is and what he's accomplished on the cross and what he will do in the future. It is a Christ-centered church. Third mark of a healthy church is that it is made up of Christ-like Christians, not perfect Christians, but Christ-like Christians, Christians who are pursuing to be like Jesus. We continue in verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, And now he says, note this, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now what Paul means by these words is simply this. A healthy church is a church marked by its members pursuing Christ-likeness. They want to be like Jesus. They don't simply want to know about Jesus. They want to be like him in their attitudes, their actions, and the words that they speak. I think the Apostle John summed up precisely what Paul is getting at in 1 John 2.6 when he said this, 
The one who says, the person who says that he abides in him, the person who says, I abide in Christ, I live in Christ, I know Christ, John says, that person ought to walk in the same manner as he walked. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. That's Christ-likeness. If you say, I know Jesus, then Paul says, then John says, then show us that by your walk, at least by your pursuit of walking like Christ. Now, the fourth mark of a healthy church, which we spent our time looking at the last time we studied these verses, is that a healthy church is characterized by spiritual stability in its members. Verse 14 says this, as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. Now the point of this verse is to say that as believers in Christ, we are not to be like little children. We are not to be like small children, precious though they may be. We are not to be like them in the sense that they are gullible and extremely undiscerning. A child will believe pretty much everything and anything that an adult tells them. Because if we are like this, then Paul says we will be spiritually unstable, up and down, vacillating, wavering, tossed about by every new theological fad that comes along. Therefore, a mark of a church that is internally strong, that is internally healthy, is that its members are characterized by settled convictions. They know what they believe, Concerning the truths of scripture, they're settled on these things. So they aren't constantly changing their theological beliefs. This book comes along and they read it and they gravitate there. This speaker they hear and they gravitate to what he says. Always fluctuating, always up and down, always changing. No. Listen, it's important for each of us to understand that one of the strategies of Satan is to use cults and false religious systems to lure immature, spiritually unstable Christians into their organizations. That's what the cults always do. That's Satan's strategy. In his commentary on Ephesians, Pastor Warren Wearsby writes this. He says, there are religious quacks waiting to kidnap God's children and get them into their false cults, but the maturing believer recognizes false doctrine and stays clear of it. The cultists do not try to win lost souls to Christ. They don't establish rescue missions in the slum areas of our cities because they have no good news for the man on Skid Row. Instead, these false teachers try to capture immature Christians. And for this reason, and this is an astounding statement I'm about to read. He says, for this reason, most of the membership of the false cults comes from local churches, particularly churches that do not feed their people the word of God. Now, you know what, as I was thinking about this, I realized that in the early days of my ministry, I saw this very thing. I started out here at Lakeside as the minister of evangelism. We had a very large and active evangelism program in which we would go out and visit people who had visited Lakeside, who would visit them in their homes and share the gospel with them. And we actually did see fruit. We actually, in those days, I'm talking about many years ago, we saw a number of people who professed to believe in Christ. And many of those, I'm sure, were very genuine and they were very real conversions. But here's inevitably what would happen. Not every time, but enough time that I caught on and I thought, this is the devil's strategy because this is a pattern. We would lead someone to faith in Christ. They'd pray with us in their home. They'd pray to receive Christ. And then almost immediately, 
This new Christian would have a relative or a friend, a family member who would be so thrilled about this because now they would try to lure them into their false religious system. They'd come out of the woodwork and say, I'm so thrilled to hear that you're come to my church. And it was usually a terrible church, often a false religion or a cult. Now, this friend, this relative, this family member, they were not interested in introducing them to Christ because, frankly, they couldn't. They weren't saved to begin with. But they were sure interested in getting this new creature, this brand new believer in Christ to join their false system. Listen, as I told you, I saw that so many times that I realized this is not coincidental. This is a pattern. This is the devil's strategy. And you know what? He was often very successful. We would lead them to Christ and their friend would lead them into a false cult. And they would happily join some very strange, quacky religious group. Well, Paul is telling us that a healthy church is not made up of immature Christians who fall prey to teaching like this, who fall prey to false teaching. It's made up of stable believers who know the truth and they continue in the truth. He's talking about the truth of the gospel. But nonetheless, all of us, no matter how mature you are, no matter how many years you've been saved, we are all susceptible, all vulnerable to Satan tempting us with demonic false teaching and teachers whose goal is to lead Christians away from the truth, astray from the truth. And if you think that this could never happen to you, that you're too mature, that you've been around too many years, that you would never fall prey, couldn't possibly fall prey to a cult or a false religion, then really you don't know how weak you are. You think you're stronger than you really are. And you certainly don't realize how powerful Satan really is. He can confuse you. He can cause you to have doubts. He can tempt you on that. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says this, and it's a warning. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands, stand spiritually, stand strong, take heed that he does not fall. So if you think it can't happen to you, Paul says take heed because it can So in light of the fact that there are so many Christians who are gullible and easily deceived by false teachers, what can you do? What can you do to protect yourself from Satan's attempts to pull you into error and pull you from the truth? What can an individual Christian do? What can a church do? Well, in the next verse in chapter 4, Paul gives us the remedy the remedy to so many spiritually unstable Christians. This is the cure to spiritual instability. He does this by giving us a fifth and final mark of a healthy church. He tells us that a healthy church is marked by an atmosphere of truth and love. An atmosphere of truth and love. Verse 15. He said, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. Now, having just spoken in verse 14 about his desire that we not be like little children who are up and down, led astray easily into error, Paul notices, Paul now in this verse, he tells us the remedy for this by telling us that we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ. In other words, he's telling us that the way to grow spiritually is this. And when he says to grow up, he means to become like Jesus in all aspects of our character. That's what it means to grow spiritually. It means to become more Christ-like in attitudes and in heart, 
in spirit, in compassion, in holiness, in righteousness, in love. It's to become more and more like Christ. So how are we to grow up to be Christ-like? How are we to mature into stable Christians so we don't vacillate in our doctrine or in our behavior? Paul says it's by speaking the truth in love. He says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Now, I want you to notice the fact that Paul puts the word but at the beginning of this verse, it tells us that this is to be understood as a contrast with verse 14. We are no longer to be like children, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up to be like Christ. So the question is this, what does the apostle mean by this expression, speaking the truth in love? And you may think, well, of course, it's so obvious. It's really not that obvious, and I'll tell you why. This is not that easy a statement to interpret. And the reason for this is because the word speaking, though we translate it that way in our English Bibles, that word speaking is not actually in the Greek text. Now, the word that Paul uses certainly involves speaking. So that's actually a very good translation. But it doesn't tell the whole picture. Paul uses a certain word that involves speaking, but it's actually broader than just verbally communicating. See, this word actually means to be truthful. It means to hold to the truth. It also means to be living the truth, doing the truth. In other words, the thought here is that our entire behavior is to be characterized by truth, not just our speech, but everything about us. In fact, There are a number of Bible teachers, very fine Bible teachers, who would suggest that the best translation of this particular word, if the English language allowed it, would be truthing it. Truthing it. I don't think there's really a word, truthing it, but that captures the essence, truthing it, so that truthfulness should characterize everything about us from our speech to our conduct. However, there is only one other time in the New Testament when the Apostle Paul uses this particular word, and in doing so, he gives us insight as to what he means by this, because the only other time Paul uses this is in Galatians 4.16, and there it does have to do with verbally speaking. So that's a very integral part of this. Paul is talking about someone communicating Christ and the gospel. Here's what Galatians 4.16 says. The only other time this precise word is used. He says, so have I become your enemy by telling you the truth, by speaking the truth to you? So in light of the fact that this is the only other time this word, same word, same expression, is used besides Ephesians 4, used in reference to verbally proclaiming the truth. That's what Paul was talking about then it only makes sense that the apostle, when he tells the Ephesians that they are to speak the truth in love, that it involves more than simply living the truth, but includes speaking as well. So I want you to know, that's a long way to say this. He means everything that's truthful, speaking, living, so forth. What Paul is actually teaching us by these words, speaking the truth in love, is this, that a healthy church is a church where people grow spiritually because in that church, the truth is proclaimed as well as lived out by the congregation. I think that is an accurate view of what the apostle means here. He means that it's a church where the truth is taught, 
people speak the truth. The pulpit speaks the truth. Other Bible teachers speak the truth, but the congregation lives out the truth. And of course, the truth that Paul is referring to is none other than Scripture. It's the Word of God. Jesus said to the Father in John 17, Thy Word is what? Truth. It is truth. And the Spirit of God, who guided the apostles and the prophets so that they wrote down divine revelation, one of the names of the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. So what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 4 is that a mature church is a church that knows the truths of Scripture, believes the truths of Scripture, and walks in the truths of Scripture. It's a church where the entire congregation is committed to the truth. The atmosphere, the environment, the very breath of the church breathes truth. Speaking the truth in love seems so obvious. Yet Pastor Steve did a wonderful job of giving us a deeper understanding. It means to hold to the truth, to live the truth. Our entire behavior is to be characterized by truth, not just our speech, but everything about us. (laughs) Wow, that's a lot to put into practice, not just for us as individuals, but our churches as well. As Pastor Steve said right at the end, a mature church is a church where the entire congregation is committed to the truth. We have more to study on that in our next lesson, where Pastor Steve Kreloff will be wrapping up our series called Unity and Spiritual Growth. Please join us on the next Verse by Verse. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.